Well, this morning uh, we get to have one of our teaching team. Stephen Miller has been a part of our church for several years now. He's, you see him serve on the worship band, but he also has a biblical degree and he has the gift of teaching. And so we've asked him to come and share with us from John chapter 8. So, Stephen. Well, it's a pleasure to be with y'all today. Um, I hope every time I teach that there are really two things that I can communicate to you. Um, one is my own just personal love for the Bible. I, I didn't grow up in a circumstance where I took the Bible seriously until I was a teenager. Uh, and then when I did, it, it really took off. So much so that I convinced my parents to pay for me to go to college for it. Um, the other thing that I really hope to communicate whenever I'm on this platform is that this book is a connected whole. It's not a series of disjointed anecdotes or, you know, little tidbits of moralistic feel-goodery. It's one through line, one big story that's interconnected. And so when I stand here and I read a passage and tell you about it, I want you to see the bigger picture that it's part of as well. So we're picking up in this series that we've been in, in John, called What Would Jesus Actually Do?, a clever title, and we're looking at, we're trying to, to get deep into uh, the gospel, into the story of Jesus' life, and then pull out practical information on what we can do with that, and how we can then live based on who we see Jesus is. Last week, Rick talked to us about Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. This week, we're picking up with another of those I am statements. In Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. So I'm going to read our text today. We're in John chapter 8, so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 30, and I'll read our text for us, and then I'll pray, and we'll get right into it. This is John 8, 12 through 30. Jesus, well, this is what I want you to get from it first, that Jesus is the light that shines through the darkness of our sinful condition so that we may properly see and follow him into the life he made for us. That's the big idea that I'm framing this around. But let's take a look at what Jesus actually said, and then we'll come back to this idea. So John 8:12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And look at the Pharisees' response to this. Instead of responding to what he said... Look at how they responded. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but it is the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you knew my Father also. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin." Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? What is he saying? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus said to them, you're from below, I'm from above. 
You're from this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? I am he. Who are you? Jesus said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. Now they didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. That I do nothing of my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. And he, and he who sent me is with me, that is the Father. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, free us from the tyranny of that which is familiar, and allow us to see you for who you are. We love you. Amen. Well, there's a lot happening in this exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees. We're just going to zero in on his claim, I am the light of the world. And I broke it down into kind of four pieces. We're going to use these four pieces, these four clauses, to structure uh, the the, the teaching for today and how we understand this verse. My other hope uh, for using this kind of structure is that it makes it much easier for you to remember this piece of the Bible. We've been trying to memorize scripture for the past few weeks, so this is a great way to do it. Break it into chunks and walk through it that way. So, this is what we're looking at. Jesus' statement. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to look at each of those individually, and then we'll put them together to see what Jesus is talking about. So, first, I am the light of the world. Now, this sounds really broad. It sounds general. Light is a very common theme in the Bible. Think about, you know, Genesis 1, the very beginning of creation. God said, let there be light. Think about the Israelites walking through the desert in the Exodus, guided by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire, light by night. There's also multiple places in the Psalms, in the other wisdom literature, where uh, God's word This book is referred to as a light. Your word is a a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's a common theme. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In order to properly understand this, we need to understand where Jesus was, when he was, to really get an idea of, of what this means. So, I've broken this down into kind of three pieces of context. The first is where Jesus is at the time. He's at the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem, otherwise called Sukkot. Uh, it was one of the three major feasts that all the Jewish people of the time were required to go to Jerusalem and celebrate. And this one was known to be particularly joyous and extravagant. Uh, it was a, a feast that celebrated both. It celebrated two things. One, it was, it was a way to commemorate uh, the Israelites' time in the wilderness where they lived in booths, in tents, And so they were told, hey, you're going to celebrate this every year. For a week, you're going to stay outside in these tents. So they did that, or these booths. And a lot of uh, Jews still do that to this day during this time. The other thing that it commemorates, it's a a harvest festival, a festival of in-gathering. Right now, we're in 
fall. We're in spooky season. We're at the time where everybody's drinking their pumpkin spice lattes and, you know, having their harvest festivals, whatever that means for us today. Who's harvesting things? Probably very few of you. Uh, but I work a lot of farmer's markets where I sell coffee and uh, there's a lot of like harvest themed stuff. This was an actual meaningful event where they were celebrating a real harvest and in gathering. So it was very joyous. Uh, you can read about it in John 7 where Jesus goes and he stands up on the last day of this of this feast uh, during which they were pouring out water on the altar and they were they lit the temple up with all these torches and candelabra lights uh, there are ancient Jewish writers who record this as saying, if you, you don't know joy until you know, until you've been to Jerusalem during Sukkot. It was bright. There were people dancing and singing. Uh, water was being poured out on the altar to symbolize the Spirit of God that would be poured out on the people. Lights were coming from the temple to symbolize the glory of God that they were waiting for to return. And Jesus stands up. First, he says, anyone who believes in me, Rivers of living water will flow from him. And then he says, I am the light of the world. It's clear from this context that he's saying, hey, I'm what you've been waiting for. I am what the symbols of this feast point to. So if you were someone who knew your Bible at the time, which the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they would, they would have been, that should have sparked a couple things in your mind. I should have got the gears turning. Some other bits of context that I want us to see is the way that the author, John, uses light and dark throughout his gospel. It's a major theme that he uses, this this visual contrast, as a way to symbolize uh, people who could see clearly who Jesus was and people who are spiritually blind. That's just one of the ways he uses it, but it's a primary one. Uh, For example, in John 1, we're familiar with uh, the beginning of John's gospel, in the beginning was the word. But we read a few more sentences down, and we come to this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, Jesus is the order which binds together existence and reality, fending off of chaos, fending off chaos and creating an ordered world that we can be in. John continues, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's referring to Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Think about this. You are John. You are a friend of Jesus. You're writing about 60 years after his death and resurrection, and there are a ton of other Jewish people at the time who had rejected this Messiah who came to them as one of them, using their symbols, living out their covenant. And yet, many of these Jewish leaders and people rejected their own Messiah. If I'm John, I'd be asking why. Part of his gospel is an answer to that question. Why? Why did my people reject their Messiah? The light came to them, but they did not receive him. We can also see some more Old Testament connections here. And I'll just, there's many, many connections that I think Jesus and John are drawing upon. But if I was a, a Pharisee, at the time, I would have thought of two particular passages. One that's familiar to us today, uh, it's in Isaiah. We usually read this around Christmas time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This probably would have come into my mind. Along with this passage from Zechariah, which might be a little bit more, um, I don't know, foreign to you, unless you're 
really into your reading your prophets. Zechariah is fascinating. A graphic book, not for the faint of heart. Uh, but this is towards the end of Zechariah, writing about 400 years before Jesus. There shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem. Think of what Jesus said earlier at the feast. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So Zechariah unites these images of water and light in order to announce, hey, the Messiah is coming. These are things that you will see, that you will look for. Of course, Zechariah is speaking in many ways symbolically, but Jesus uses these symbols and, and, and makes them real. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the light of the world. I am the redemptive reality. I am the revelation of God that makes sense of everything. This is the way that I kind of summarize this for myself when I look through all this various bits of context. That Jesus is the redemptive revelation of God at work in the world, illuminating the truth and guiding his people out of darkness. I think that's kind of what John wants us to see when he records Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. But the, that's, that's fine theology, but the question is, what do we do with that? So Jesus' next statement, whoever follows me. Now this is a, a simple but deeply profound phrase, whoever follows me. And it begs the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think this is probably the most important question that you can ask and that you can answer for yourself. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Is following Jesus just showing up to a specific building on a specific day of the week, singing certain songs, clapping along, having a good time, wearing certain clothes, not wearing other clothes, listening to certain music, not listening to other music, putting on a persona of Christian culture? Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Is it just some external compliance? For many, that's what they've implicitly been taught to believe. Or maybe following Jesus is a subjective journey that every person goes on on their own, and many roads lead to the same mountaintop. And you can just make you know, for yourself what it, what it means to follow Jesus. Is it some subjective, individualistic experiment in spirituality? I don't think that's the answer either. What I think the Bible makes clear is that following Jesus is an act of surrender. There's a book that I read every single morning. I've been doing so for over a decade. When I sit down, I have my cup of coffee, and I read the Word. I also read this book called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers, written over 100 years ago. It's just a short devotional, daily entries. And as I've read this for over 10 years, something has become very clear to me that Chambers wanted to communicate, and that's this. Following Jesus means giving up your right to yourself, giving up your right to determine your own path. It means that we step out of the darkness and trust him. There's an old song that uh, many of you might know, Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Obedience is, I think, easier to convince people of than trust. But that's what Jesus is asking of us. I'll give you another illustration before we move on to the next uh, 
element of this. Imagine that you are eating a meal, and I will let you pick whatever that is in your imagination. But it's mediocre. It's okay. It's not the best. You're sitting down, fork to your mouth. You're satisfied. You're not hungry. You're not happy either, but, you know, it is what it is. And uh, you're moderately comfortable. could be better. You give yourself a sniff. You could use a shower. <laughs> We've all done it. And suddenly you look up, and it seems that the sky is opening up above you. And as it does, light pours in, and you realize this room that you thought you are in is not a room, but a container made of steel. Uh, the meal you are eating is leftovers from some styrofoam box, and you're sitting in filth. You realize to yourself you're sitting in a dumpster. The sky opening up was the lid. And you're in a dire situation. A hand reaches in and a voice calls out to you and says, Hey, step out of there. Step out of that dark, dirty dumpster. And I'll lead you to, to a place where you can take a shower, get some clean clothes, and have the best meal that you will ever have. And you will be satisfied. In fact, you'll never go hungry or thirsty again. It's a pretty easy choice once that light comes on. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. We are spiritually dark and dead apart from him. But he steps into our world, and when we hear the gospel, when we see Jesus presented to us, for some of us, this only takes one or two times. For many of us, it takes multiple years. I knew, for me, it took like three years of hearing this gospel message before I started to really see that light and step out of the darkness. But at some point, you have to make a choice when you realize that what he's saying is true. You can either stay in your old, dingy, dusty, dirty life, close the lid and hide back in the dumpster that you know, or you can step into the unknown and follow him into the light. This brings us to our next statement. Jesus says, you will not walk in darkness. This is both a promise and a warning. Look at the way that the Pharisees respond to Jesus. They didn't just like you know, challenge his statement, I am the light of the world. They challenge his authority. They're kind of those, those dorks that instead of listening to what you say, they listen to how you say it and they attack that. And I can call them dorks because I know if I was alive in the first century, I would have been one of those dorks. I would have, well, actually, don't be that person. But that's what they did. We're not going to get into the, the nuances of that conversation too much. But what I want you to see is that they challenge his authority rather than challenging his message. And one of the reasons they did that is because their hearts were hard. They had, they had seen the light of who he was. They saw the signs, the miracles he was performing, the words he was proclaiming. They had hundreds of years worth of prophets who came before and announced this Messiah that was coming. And yet they were still blind. I think it was a willful blindness. John touches on this a little bit earlier in his gospel. We're familiar with John 3.16, but if you read a little bit further in John 3.18, 3.18 uh, through 20, I suppose, he talks about how when the light shines on our darkness, it illuminates our sin. And many people love the darkness rather than the light. We don't like our sin exposed, but when the, the gospel comes in, it shows us, it, it forces us to put, point that mirror back to our heart and say, what is in there? Man, I don't like it. I remember that experience for me. I was uh, probably 15, going on 16. 
Um, I had been going to this thing called Young Life where I heard the, the gospel proclaimed in a way that I could understand it as a teenager. been doing that for a couple of years at the, at the time. And I heard about how Jesus wanted a relationship with me, but I had this problem of sin. Now, for me, I, I didn't really like take... I thought that was cool and interesting, but I didn't take it to heart. I didn't, I didn't see what was inside of me and, and respond to it until... I had this interaction with a friend of mine where I, I said something very mean and upsetting and I, I really ruined that relationship. And um, I, I don't want to get into the details of it, but it was through that experience that I realized, through something so, as small as that, that I realized, man, I am a sinner. And I, as much as I try to lead my life, I can't even get the simple things right, like how to... Be kind to my friend. And through that, I've realized, like, I, I have a problem. This sin issue, this is real. My heart was laid bare before the light of the gospel. And uh, I, I knew that in a few weeks from that time, in the summer, I would be going back to Young Life Camp where I would hear about this Jesus again. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to pay attention, and I'm going to see what that can do. And that summer, I did pay attention, and I realized that all I had to do was surrender. I had no choice. And so I remember asking the Lord to lead my life at that point. I said, I give up. You're it. I surrender. And from then on, my life has changed. So this brings us to the last bit of what Jesus says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. One way that this can be read in, in, in Greek is we'll have the light that produces life, not the light that comes from your life, but the light that produces it. In other words, when we start to follow Jesus, we are given access to the life that we were made for. Your purpose on this earth is not to work some job and then die. Your purpose is to know the God who created you and to live alongside him. That's it. That's why you're here. And when we step out of the darkness and follow Jesus into his light, then he gives us the ability to live as we ought. That life change, it happens at a very deep level, and it has very, but it, it produces very surface level results as well. That life change takes a long time. Jesus doesn't expect us to come to him already clean and perfect. He just says, follow me, not clean up your life. One way that I experienced this as a teenager was, uh, I don't know, probably about a year after I gave my life to Jesus, um, I had started seeing some real changes happening in my heart. Not just my outward behaviors, but my desires started changing. For example, uh, like many teenagers, I had a pretty foul mouth. Uh, sorry, Mom and Dad, I know you're watching online. Uh, your son was not as good as you thought him to be. So, around my friends at least. And when I came to Jesus, that was one of the areas where I just felt convicted of sin. Not because we need to use particular language and refrain from others in order to be saved, but that light was producing life in me where I saw the, the contradiction between who I claimed to be as a follower, follower of Jesus and who I presented myself to be in the world. So I, it took me about a year, 
but I learned to stop cursing. And I realized that it started in my mind, and I had to change not only the, the words that came out of my mouth, but the way that I thought, the words that you know, were happening in my inner monologue. That led to me changing the way that I felt, evaluating the, the inner parts of my heart about certain people and things. And over time, I learned to stop using certain words. And that, and that was just one small example, one outward example of the inner life change that happens. Following Jesus is a lot more profound than just not cussing. It, there's a lot more to it than that. But I wanted to give you just a practical example of it that you can see. There is, however, a dire warning within this. If the light of the gospel reveals who Jesus is to you, beware that you don't reject it. Because like the Pharisees, your hearts can become hard. This is one thing that you see as you read through the book of John, especially in chapter 12, where Jesus really summarizes this, and then John does too. He leaves them with a sense of urgency. He says, The light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. You don't know what tomorrow holds. If the light of the gospel has been turned on, if you are starting to see who this Jesus is, Follow him today. Grab one of the, uh, the, the prayer ministers after this. Grab any of the, the people on staff, someone in the band. Maybe not the drummer. Drummers like to stay in the cage away from people. But grab anybody and say, hey, I want to follow this Jesus. How do I do this? There is a sense of urgency that we must have. A.W. Tozer, another author that I really enjoy, a um, book's called Knowledge of the Holy. He wrote a lot of things about, I don't know, 70 years ago. Um, I read that book every couple of years and one quote that really stuck out to me from it is this, that God's eternity and man's mortality join to persuade us that faith in Jesus Christ is not optional. For every man it must be Christ or eternal tragedy. You need to make a decision. Well, that brings us to our question that's been guiding our, our journey through the book of John. What would Jesus actually do well, for those who are following him, he, he tells you what to do. He says to turn on the light. Not here, but earlier in Jesus' ministry, during a, a talk that we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to all the people there, he said to the people who followed him, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you are a believer, I invite you to think of what's one practical way that you can live in such a manner that draws people to who Jesus is rather than to who you are. What does that mean for you on Monday morning? It's going to be different for everybody. Maybe it means that you just say something nice to that person that you usually don't talk to. <laughs> Maybe it means that you silently pray before your meal at work or at school. Maybe it means that you 
try to be a little more patient with your rambunctious kids. It'll get better, I hope. I don't know what it is for you, but there's, there's got to be something that you can ask God, hey, Lord, please, what is one thing I can do this week to be a light for you? This brings us to our next steps, which are very simple. The first one is what I just said, turn on the light. If you're a follower of Jesus, ask the Lord, God, what, what can I do? I remember uh, when I was 18, I went to work for a month, went to volunteer at a Young Life camp, um, the same one where I, I got saved, Rock Ridge in Virginia. I was on the dining hall staff, and I remember there was this one guy that, we were all Christians, but didn't we all got along? And there was one guy that I found really annoying. Like, he was just, he, for some reason, got under my skin. And I remember about a week into this, realizing, I got another three weeks with this dude. I need to, I need to just, like, stop my, my bickering to myself and be nice to this guy. Even though I, I don't really enjoy his, his company too much. And what I learned from just choosing to be kinder was my attitude towards this person improved. And we became friends by the end. could be something as simple as that. Or something much more profound. Maybe there's a habit that you need to give up. Perhaps you're not yet following Jesus. You're still in the darkness. Well, your next step is to step out of the darkness. Get out of the dumpster. Get out of the dark. Like the song we sang earlier, Freedom. Step out of the shadows. Maybe you're tired of, of hiding from God. You can't close the lid anymore. He's here. He knows your heart. He sees it. And He's inviting you into a life with Him. All you have to do is say, God, I want to step out of this. And I want to live with you. I surrender. Take my life light of the world. Will you do that? If you will, then I would ask that you tell somebody. You're not meant to go through this alone. We are not just individual ships passing in the night, little candles that flicker here and there. We, we are one people, one church, with one body, one Lord, and one spirit. So if you are making that choice to follow Jesus today, tell somebody, and we will walk with you. Father, thank you for giving us your son. I pray that we would surrender to you, that we would step out of the darkness, we would step into the light of your gospel, and that we would live, that we would live in your light. We love you, Father.